Um, so we are um, carrying on our series around 365. Um, what are our what is our mission statement uh, that we want to live out faith, hope, and love in our community? Um, what are our values um, that we want to live out, and that we're passionate about story and we do this in uh, we want to be connected in every way that we can so the world around us can be reconnected restored and renewed in every way it can that we would do this in relationship with one another we live out generosity as a key value of what we're about because it's always beyond ourselves and um, past ourselves that we want to see transformation in ourselves and all around us and we invite people into that journey of transformation as we live out creatively um, to see God expressed um, in all the ways it can and that we want to um also we live out our vision statements um that we want jesus to be um, wholeheartedly worshipped and deeply experienced and clearly known that we want to be a resource to the wider church that we want to see um the tide of relational breakdown turned wherever we serve and that we want to see renewal in us and through us and all around us and that we want to see justice and we want to live lives of generosity living out justice meeting those who suffer injustice and challenging the systems that create injustice and this is our three and our six and our five so this is something that we do every day um so we live this out um every day every one of us everywhere we are and and we're talking through that and this morning we're starting on our vision series so we've done our mission and we've done our values and now we're doing our vision and the first vision statement is that we want to see Jesus wholeheartedly worshipped, deeply experienced and clearly known. And as a vision statement, that's, um, it's a good place to start, right? We start with Jesus for a reason. We make Jesus central for a reason. Because we can have all the great vision and ideas that we want. We can, we can have all the values that we want to live out. We can have a brilliant mission statement. But we believe passionately that Jesus is the center of it all. And hopefully we will explain some of that and, and draw some of that out over this morning, but also over the next couple of weeks. Why we think that's important because we believe that Jesus is central. And that might sound obvious. You might go, well, of course Jesus is central. But actually, we can, it's very easy for us to fall into the trap of making him secondary. Let me explain that a little bit. You see, we can start saying that Jesus, if you believe in Jesus then you will be saved. Your sins will be forgiven and you will enjoy, you will go to heaven when we die and live there for all eternity. And we might all say amen to that. But actually, if that's the totality of what we believe, then Jesus has just become secondary because he's become a means to an end. He's become a strategy to get somewhere rather than the point in himself. Does that make sense? It's subtle, but it happens. Well, if I believe this, if I do the right things, if I say the right things, if I behave the right way, 
Jesus himself, you know, when we read the scripture, when we read the gospels, Jesus says some pretty amazing things. He says some pretty controversial things, but he says some pretty amazing things. He says things like, if you have seen me, you have seen the Father. That's a bit of a boast, right? I mean, either he's right or that's a brave thing to be saying. If you know me, you know the Father. He says, I am the way and the truth and the life. This is quite a bold claim. And what does he mean when he says that stuff? You see, we have this, in our humanity, we have this tendency to diminish. We have this tendency to go for formula. We have this um, tendency to reduce things to what we can understand or what we can express clearly or what we can um, use even to put ourselves back at the centre. And when Jesus says something like, I am the way and the truth and the life, that's a hugely expansive statement. But actually, we can end up reducing that down to something a little bit formulaic. We can go, well, when Jesus says he's the, tr- he's the way, um, what he means is there are, certain, there are certain rules that we have to live by. There are certain behaviors that are okay and certain behaviors that are not okay. And if I follow those rules, well, then that's the way. And then I, I follow him, I follow those rules. So doing the right things. And then he says that I'm the truth. Well, that's, I mean, you know, that's because um, we have to believe that Jesus is the Son of God. And if you believe the right things, you believe all the right theology about it, and you believe all the, the right stuff, well, then that, that's, that's what he means when he says that I'm the truth. And when he says about life, well, he's not really talking about life here. He's talking about that. Well, when you die, then you will live in heaven and have eternal life. So we can actually make something that is profound and expansive. And mind-bending into something that's quite formulaic. Well, if I believe the right things, do the right things, then I'll I'll go to heaven when I die. Which we make it about religiosity, morality, and death. Make it about legalism. We make it into a formula, and we reduce Jesus into a formula. But actually, Jesus is saying something much more profound than that. Jesus is saying something much bigger than that. He's saying that the truth of all things is found in him. He's saying that in relationship with him, you will find the path to living fully and having the fullest of life. Jesus also says, you know, I have come that you will have life and have life to the full. Because sometimes we find ourselves living something of a less than full life. We can find ourselves living in, in something of a um, life sapping or even uh, a life that is actually contains a lot of death or um, negativity or, or loss of hope or loss of love. We can become quite small. We can become quite cynical. We can become quite full of hate. We can become um, quite full of pride. We can become quite full of self-righteousness or envy or greed or jealousy or rivalry. But you see, then what we do when we become that way, and Jesus is saying, I, don't want, I, I didn't create you to live that way. I created you to live life. I created you to live out love and hope 
and peace and joy and fullness. I created to live with an abundance of who God is. He created us to be not just the recipients of God and his spirit, but the revelation of what God is like. He created us to live in full harmony with him. But actually what can happen is we become quite small and we become quite consumed by these different things and hate and jealousy. But then what we end up doing is we end up projecting that onto God and saying, well, that's what God's like. I remember growing up, and my dad was a preacher and a church leader and, you know, very gifted in many ways, but also very flawed in many ways. And, um, but I remember him speaking with all sincerity on one Sunday morning and saying, well, you know, it was around time for election. He said, well, God's conservative, and if you vote Labour, then you're going against the will of God. And even at my fairly young age, I was going, I don't know if that's right. But I also know people who go, well, God's clearly Labour or Socialist or whatever, and anyone who votes Conservative can't be um, revealing anything about God. You see, we can make God quite political, but clearly in agreement with our own political views. I also remember my dad telling me that God was a Manchester United fan. And I don't... Whilst... God's blessings certainly reign on Manchester United from time to time. <laughs> Why else would we have Ronaldo back again for a second time? But um, I don't think you can start kind of saying, well, God's clearly Manchester United. And, hey, God is on our side and therefore against them. We do it with all sorts of things, but we can end up making God a little bit of a projection of ourselves. God holds our political views or our theological views or God holds our sporting views or our nationalistic views. How many times do you hear, well, this is, yes, you declare God's ownership of your country. This is God's country or this is God's county or this is God's city or this is God. You know, I remember growing up in Manchester in the 90s and having a T-shirt that said, on the sixth day, God created Manchester. I mean, it's quite a cool T-shirt. But anyway, and upset a few people too. But, um, but that was, but, you know, we kind of we can adopt God to kind of go, well, whatever's important to me, well, that's important to God. Or whatever God I agree with, that's what God agrees with. Or whatever I think, that's what God thinks, you see. And Mark Twain said, Mark Twain said, God made man in his image. And man, being the gentleman that he is, returned the favor. We say God is like us. And we kind of go, well, God must think whatever I think. I have a friend who leads a church in America and recently during the whole Black Lives Matter and stuff that was going on over there. Um, because he refused to say from the pulpit that Trump was God's anointed leader of America. Wasn't he didn't he didn't say Trump was bad or he didn't say this side was good and this side was bad. He just went, well, you know, whatever you actually what he was preaching was whatever your political opinions, let love drive you, let generosity drive you, let hope drive you. It's a good message. I would preach something very similar. But eighty percent of his church left because he refused to acknowledge that Trump was God's appointed leader of America. Jesus has become secondary in that situation, right? That's what we do. I know another. I have another friend in America who leads a huge church. And going back, this is the days of George W. Bush. And again, preached a sermon saying, you know, America is not God's nation. The Republicans are not God's party. Let's not politicize God. 10,000 people left his church that weekend. 
I mean, it's quite a church, that, isn't it? 10, if 10,000 can leave, and you're still going on. But anyway, 10,000 people in one weekend left his church because he refused to allow God to become secondary. He refused to allow Jesus to become secondary. He said, no, no, we're not going to be that church. And 10,000 people went, well, that's not the church for me then. You see how subtle it can be that we allow Jesus to become secondary and we project our own ideas onto God and we say that's what God is like. And that's what we see, you know, that's what the Jews were doing back in the, when Jesus came. They had all these ideas about what Jesus was going to be like. That he was going to be on their side because God is Jewish and therefore he was going to restore the great nation of Israel and he was going to therefore destroy all of God's, all of Israel's enemies. And then Jesus comes along and doesn't buy into that violent rhetoric at all. In fact, he, Jesus heals some of their opponents, some of their oppressors. He heals the daughter of the centurion. He, he goes even outside of the Jewish areas and heals the non-Jewish people. And the Jewish leaders didn't like that because if you're going to be the Messiah, you need to be on our side. If you're going to be on our side, that means being against them. They made Jesus a means to an end. They made Jesus secondary. And then they, put the, well, they also put the law above Jesus. They went, well, there are certain rules here, Jesus, and your disciples are going out. One day, they were on a, on a Sabbath day, they were picking heads of corn to eat as they walked through the field. And, and the religious leaders came and went, you don't understand the law, that you're not allowed to do that. And Jesus was like, well, hold on a minute. I think you've misunderstood the law. Like, the law wasn't there to condemn you. The law is there to, it's for you. It's not, for, it's not to oppress you. You've missed the point. But they couldn't accept it because they put the law above God, they'd put the law above Jesus. And Jesus came along into this world where they believed that God was distant. And maybe we fall into that trap from time to time, but Jesus was entirely present and with them. In fact, Emmanuel means God with us. You see, God is a God who wants to be in relationship. But we often end up making Jesus secondary, we often end up going for formula, going for theology, or going for legalism, or going for whatever we go for, which actually removes Jesus from the center and puts us back at the center. You know, there's a little twist here as well, because we love to be in control as people, right? We actually crave power. We see that all around us. And Jesus came with this very different message that said it's not all about power, it's not all about you, it's not all, that's not what all this is about. And Jesus came along with this message that said, no, I'm here and I'm with you and I love you and I'm for you, but I'm not for you or over your enemies or I'm not for you in this particular way. I'm, I'm with you and I want to show you a whole new way of living this out. And Jesus said, I'm the way, the truth and life. But we turn that into legalism and we turn that into... We turn that into theology or we turn that into um, morality and we turn that into all into being about death. And, and, there's this, and there's this idea that actually, because if we can turn it into a formula, if you believe the right things and you do the right things, well, then God is contractually bound to save you. Well, then who's back in control of the situation? 
I am, right? If I believe the right things and do the right things, God, therefore, effectively becomes something like a genie in a lamp or a little bit like Santa Claus. And we like to diminish him. We like to remove him from the center and put ourselves at the center. And it's really subtle. And so it's really important that we recognize that Jesus is right at the center. And it's really important that we start there as a church and say, Jesus is our vision. It starts with him and it ends with him. Because Jesus reveals, Jesus brings this message. Have you had all these preconceptions of what God is like? But God is not like that. You know, you expected God to be distant, but I'm right here. You expected God to be silent. You had this idea that God was silent, but here I am speaking with you. You expected that God was going to be on your side and destroy your enemies, but here I am loving your enemies. They believed that God had to be kept holy and pure and separate and was just for the good people and would have nothing to do with the sinners and the not good enoughs and the tax collectors and the prostitutes and the whoever else that might be. And yet Jesus insisted on hanging out with those people And having dinner with those people and spending his time with those people. And actually when Jesus spoke in any sort of judgmental way, it was towards the religious people in the center. Never towards the broken people on the outside. See, they had this idea of what God was like. And then Jesus comes in and goes, you know what, God's not like that. But that wasn't just for the Jews, that was for the Romans and for the Greeks, that's for us today. Even as Christians, we can, we can still fall into that trap of making it formulated. We can still fall into that trap of making Jesus secondary or a means to an end or a genie in a lamp. And Jesus goes, you know, God's not like that. You know, throughout history... People have been grasping at ideas of what God is like. We've been searching to know or understand God more and more. And Jesus comes along as the fullest revelation of what God is like. That doesn't mean that some of our ideas before were entirely wrong or didn't have truth in them or didn't have beauty in them or didn't have revelation of God with them. The Old Testament is full of stories and allegories and ideas because that was the best that we could get to. But then Jesus comes along and says, this is what God is like. If you have seen me, you have seen the Father. If you know me, you know the Father. God is a God who wants to be in relationship. God is a God who wants to be known he is not a concept he is not an idea he is not a projection of whatever we are God is a God who wants to reveal himself who meets us where we are wherever we are in whatever circumstance and reveals himself to us and as we come to know him reveals himself through us to the world around us. This is who we want to be as a church. This is who we're called to be as a church. I want to show you a a clip from a program called The Chosen, which you may not have heard of. It's not on Netflix or Amazon Prime or whatever else. um, But you can access it online. You can access, access it through an app. It's a it's a series, it's like a dramatization of the, not just the life of Jesus, but the disciples, the chosen referred to the disciples. 
that are around Jesus and their lives. And um, it's a beautiful series. Um, and I would really encourage you to watch it. But I want to show you an episode. I want to show you part of an episode. It's a little bit of a long clip. But this is Jesus meeting a Samaritan woman at the well. And it's beautiful. You see, she has all these ideas of what God is like. She has all these ideas. She's been hurt and she's been damaged and she's been trampled by religiosity. She's been trampled by the system of, of Judaism and Samaritanism. And she's been trampled by this. And she's been broken by this. And, but then she meets Jesus. And they have this beautiful conversation. And it's a story you might be familiar with. Um, it's a little bit of a long clip, but I'd really love you to, I'd love us to watch this. Because God is a God that wants to be known. Jesus is, a, is God, is a revelation of what God is like and wants to be in relationship with us. And hopefully this clip inspires us to know Jesus more. So let's watch it. Give me a drink. Did you hear me? That's bad, huh? What? You, would you ask for a drink from me, a Samaritan? And a woman? I'm sorry. I should have said please. You know, it's not safe for you to be alone out here. Nor you. Why haven't you come with others? Why so late in the day? Don't women come to the wells in the, the cool of the morning? Yeah, well, none of them will be seen with me, so I have to come out new in the heat, as you have so kindly reminded me. Why won't they be seen with you? Long story. I'd, I'd still like a drink of water if you can spare it. Amazing what a parched throat will do. Aren't I unclean to you? Won't you be defiled by this vessel? Maybe some of my people say that about your women, but I don't. Yeah? And what do you say? I say if you knew who I am, you'd be asking me for a drink. Really? And I would give you living water. Would. Except that you have nothing to draw water with, and this is a deep well. Besides, what do you need from me if you have your own supply of living water? 
long story. But Jewish water is better than Samaritan water? Hmm? That's not what I said. Are you a better man than our ancestor Jacob, who dug this well? Your water is better than his? I know Jacob. And everyone who drinks this water will thirst again. But whoever drinks the water that I give him will never be thirsty again. Wouldn't that be nice? The water I give will become in a person a spring of water welling up to eternal life. Really? Yes, really. Prove it. First, go and call your husband and come back. I will show you both. I don't have a husband. You are right. You've had five husbands. And the man you're living with now is not your husband. <laughs> oh, I see. You're a prophet. You're here to preach at me. No. Usually the one good thing about coming here alone is I can escape being condemned. I'm not here to condemn you. I've made mistakes. Too many. But it's men like you who have made it impossible for me to do anything about it. How? Our ancestors worshipped on this mountain. But you Jews insist Jerusalem is the only place for true worship. They say that because the temple is there. Yeah. Exactly where we're not allowed. I'm here to break those barriers. And the time is coming when neither on this mountain nor in Jerusalem will you worship the Father. So, where am I supposed to go when I need God? I've never received anything from God, but I couldn't thank Him even if I did. Anywhere. God is spirit. And the time is coming and is now here that it won't matter where you worship, but only that you do it in spirit and truth. Heart and mind, that, that is the kind of worshiper he's looking for. It won't matter where you're from or what you've done. Do you believe what I'm telling you? Until the Messiah comes and explains everything and sorts this mess out, including me, I don't trust in anyone. You're wrong when you say that you've never received anything from God. This Messiah you speak of, I am he. The first one was named Ramin. You were a woman of purity who was excited to be married. But he wasn't a good man. He hurt you. And it made you question marriage and even the practice of your faith. Stop it. The second was Farzad. On your wedding night, his skin smelled like oranges. And to this day, every time you pass by the oranges in the market, you feel guilty for leaving him because he was the only truly godly man you've been with. But you felt unworthy. Why are you doing this? I have not revealed myself to the public as the Messiah. You are the first. It would be good if you believed me. You 
You picked the wrong person. I came to Samaria just to meet you. <laughs> Do you think it's an accident that I'm, I'm here in the middle of the day? I am rejected by others. I know. But not by the Messiah. And you know these things because you are the Christ. I'm going to tell everyone. I was counting on it. <laughs> Spirit and truth. Spirit and truth. It won't be all about mountains or temples. Soon, just the heart. You promised. I promise. This man told me everything I've done. Oh, he must be the Christ! <laughs> <laughs> hey, wait! <laughs> your water! You forgot your um. God is a God who wants to be known. God is a God who wants to be in relationship with us. God is a God who doesn't want barriers, but wants to, us to know him in spirit and in truth. He wants us not just to know him, but to reveal him in who we are as individuals, in who we are collectively as a church. Let's be people who resist the urge to make Jesus secondary. Let's be people who resist the urge to put ourselves back at the center by whatever means we find ourselves doing that. Let's be people who allow the Spirit of God to work in us, to meet us, to transform us, to restore us, and to teach us how to live life to the full. Amen? Why don't we stand? Lord, we, we want to be known by you and we want to know you. We want to worship you. And we want to see you worshipped wholeheartedly. We want to see you deeply experienced and we want to deeply experience you. And we want you to be clearly known as we know you clearly. Lord, help us to keep this always as the main thing and the central thing. 
show us wherever we have made you in our image. And allow us, show us, teach us how to become the people that you created us to be. Lord, we invite your spirit. Amen. As we worship, if any of you would like prayer, would appreciate prayer, feel that prayer would be really helpful at this moment, there will be some prayer ministry team at the back. Please make your way there and someone will pray with you. But let's worship this God who wants to be known. Let's worship Jesus who knows us, who knows everything about us and who loves us.